Red told me that he thinks that uh, I have the the Sketch Fiends rigged. Okay. Because I always get one. Uh, okay. I don't know how you would do that, but... Well, I've been starting to pretend, you know, being like, I'm getting my jammer ready. Getting <laughs> the jammer ready. <laughs> yeah, did you see that last night? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that one guy keeps posting lolly pics in the, uh, in the chat. I know he's been warned a few times. I, I asked him once if he ever met, uh, if he's ever run into Chris Hansen. Why don't you take a seat over here? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're free to leave. You know, there might be some gentlemen waiting for you outside, but you know, you can you can leave any time. I just want to talk to you. What are you doing here tonight? What was your plan? I I, I got the I got the chat logs right here. <laughs> so you you like uh, underage girls? I see. That show is the same thing over and over but it's fucking hilarious i love that they always do a freeze frame on like the point of dread when they see chris hansen coming out like oh no i've seen this program <laughs> actually they did they they played on that in south park yeah when they had all these pedophiles show up at, at chris hansen recording and each one just shot themselves as soon as they walked in mm-hmm. oh no it's chris hansen and the next one walks in and does it too yeah and the and they just keep on coming in, no matter you know the sounds of the gunshots or anything, because they thought that there was going to be an underage boy inside. Because mm-hmm. that's really how it was. Because remember how they had them like almost in a line one time. Yeah. <laughs> and like there were like five empty cars outside this house because of all the people they're catching. They're catching them too fast. Right. And people keep on parking, coming in. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened once on the show. Is that they were. They were still busting one guy, and like <laughs> another guy showed up. Yeah. So, what do you think of the uh, Kitchen Nightmares? The return of Amy's Baking Company. It was pretty funny, pretty wild. <laughs> I just love how how often they show the cartoon. It was great. <laughs> the melting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's almost like when you become aware that they are aware. I mean, what was your favorite part of the whole thing? The fact that they even like started making merchandise off of what off of the first show. It's like the the t shirt line, it's like one that says I'm a fucking gangster or something like that. Yes. It's like they they do that and yet they complain when they when they're mocked. It's like, dude, come on. But like I said, it's just the fact that they kept on using that that scene for the cartoon of her belting as as yeah. like a segue for the commercials. <laughs> the Fox Network was like, Here's a truck of money. We're gonna show your cartoon a whole bunch of times. <laughs> you know that you know the animator is just happy, right? Yeah. You should have seen her appearance on Doctor Phil. Oh my god! That was earlier this week. That had to be crazy. You know, you know the whole thing is they're trying to get their own reality show, right? Oh really? Yeah, Crazy Amy's trying to get her own reality show. <laughs> yeah, I think they realize that that's like the the only way out of this is just to make it like a to make it kind of like a a tourist attraction it's just 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 ride it to until ride it to its grave just yeah just they got like this this huge what the fuck place that people go to it's like disneyland for the crazy and what's really funny is the next episode of kitchen nightmares they showed after that it, you know gordon ramsay makes it a point to talk about how understanding and positive the the owner is to to uh and humble the owner Right. Of the place that he did actually help versus this 
you know, it's like he, you know, before he never talks about how how humble and 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 great and 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 genuine the owner is in when he does the wrap up, except for this one, which is right after the Amy's Baking Company, you know, part two. So it's like, so it's it's almost like he's like rubbing it in, saying, you know, <laughs> at least you're not batshit crazy, Amy. It's action. It's drama. It's comedy. It's Decian, the superhero webcomic. Decian's got superhero antics and sexy girls. Read it now at Decian.com. D-A-S-I-E-N.com. Hello, welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about Carl Masick and uh, several different uh, parts of the early animation importing era of the 80s. And you, of course, know my co-host, TV's Mr. Neal. Choo choo, choo choo. I think it's actually QQ, but uh, whatever. <laughs> well, we at least we know who composed that song. Yeah. Do we, Neil? Um, actually, no. I don't know if Maria Jima wrote that song or not. <laughs> well, that's okay. Someone that's more famous than the person who composed Resident Evil. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, Neil, let's get started. have this set up is the show is going to be in two parts the first part we're gonna uh gonna be about mainly about robotech and the second half we're gonna go more in depth into carl masick this is like a re a redo of like two earlier episodes we did we did a robotech episode and we did a carl masick episode and i listened to the carl masick episode recently and i i what i remember about that show is that i had a bunch of notes and we went through the episode and we signed off and i still had a a uh, lap full of notes. I'm like, what did we talk about? <laughs> and I listened to it, and it got to about the hour point, and I'm like, we're not talking about Carl Masick on this show. I'm like, what? How did we do this? Why? Why was this released? And I think, happened, Neil. I think the reason why I got released is because we had uh, Brett Weaver on, and I'm like, I can't ask him to do the show, so yeah. I just put it out, and I'm like. Mm. So anyway, it was, it was an entertaining episode, anyways. It is a good episode. It's just not what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, now, now here's our second bite at the apple. Okay, so Robotech. Uh, yeah, this was not the earliest attempt at putting Japanese programming on on American TV, but I think it's the first good attempt. And um, yeah, I am taking a slight dig at like uh, at Speed Racer and Kimba the White Lion, which I don't. Neither of which I think are very good, just because... Kimba, I mean Simba. Just because of the way they used to do dubs back then, it was like, uh, okay, the character's mouth is open, we got to do something. And that's that's how you got uh, everyone in Speed Racer going, oh, oh, between every line. It's because, like, their mouths would open, and someone thought that, well, they must be making a sound. And even though they have the Japanese track right there, somehow, I don't know why they thought that. 
But yes, Robotech. Uh, Robotech comes in three parts. The canon is... Actually, it comes in multiple parts, but the, the first season is in three parts. It's it's uh, the, the Japanese series of Macross. Uh, actually, it's Super Dimension Fortress Macross. And then it's yes. uh, uh, Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross. And they almost got Orgus. And the, the reason why this is... The reason why they went for Orgus is because all three film, all three series uh, had the same character designer, and they couldn't get Orgus, so they got Mospita, which is like basically just a ripoff of Macross done by the anime friend. And we'll get <laughs> we'll get more into that later. And the later the later canon is uh, well stuck right in the middle of of the of the whole thing is the movie, which uh, even Carl Mason kind of disowned just because it's it doesn't have anything to do with the with the story of Robotech at all. It's like what happened between the first two, uh, the first two stories between Macross and Southern Cross, and as it turns out, it's like the Robotech Master sent someone down to fetch a computer for some reason, and um, actually, it's just a badly done adaptation of of Megazone two three, which is ironically enough, it's it's kind of similar to Macross seven, where the whole thing takes place on a on a spaceship that's made to look like a like an Earth city, but um, for some reason they don't know they're on a ship, and that's like the big revelation. And that that whole thing is erased from Robotech the movie because it's all supposed to take place on Earth. So even when the character is ejected out into space, you know they have to make up some sort of excuse for why he's floating around in this vacuum. So they're like, uh, oh, he's in the the zero gravity simulator, and they go off about this for like two or three minutes. You know, to explain it away when they could have just cut that part of the film. I don't know why they did that. Um, and then there's the later canon, which is, um, you know, sort of later canon. I mean, part of it is the Sentinels, which they tried to produce in the mid 80s. And then uh, uh, it was meant to be a whole series, but it ended up just being three episodes. And then it kind of got continued with the with uh, the Jack McKinney novels and some of the comic books. And I don't think it was ever finished because uh when they decided to do a Robotech movie called The Shadow Chronicles, they had to very, very quickly wrap it up. And they did that with a five-part comic called Prelude to the Shadow Chronicles, where they uh, uh, basically killed off a bunch of characters that were introduced in uh, in the Sentinels and then, uh, you know, kind of shuffled some things around and then brought it right up to the end of the original series, which is the end of Mospita. And then that's where the Shadow Chronicles movie begins and the movie itself is kind of disappointing because it's like it's again it's it's just kind of like jettisoning characters that were from from the sentinels because uh there is this race called the, the haydenites and the haydenites were just like uh these floating robot characters that were kind of like they were kind of like a hal from uh from 2001 a space odyssey they had like that one red eye and the whole point of the movie is just them the Earthlings finding out that those guys are bad guys and then they kill them. And then it's like, okay, let's go get Rick Hunter. We have to save him from the peril that we left him in at the beginning of the movie. And then nothing else ever happens. And we, and Mac, or I should say Robotech is left in limbo and that's the entire series. Um, so from here on out, I'm, I'm going to go in more into detail about uh, Macross and Robotech. I'm, I, there are other, obviously there are two other cartoons that were, uh, adapted into into Robotech, but I'm not going to really talk about them that much. I mainly want to touch upon uh, Robotech and Macross 
in general just because I like Macross more and it's my one of my favorite animes and so uh so yeah that's where we're gonna start. So so right away we have uh protoculture is the I think is the biggest difference between Macross and Robotech is that yes. protoculture has a totally, totally different uh definition between the Flowers two Flowers of Life. Yeah, uh in Robotech the protoculture was like spice from Dune. It's like very vaguely defined space yeah it's it's like space science that flows from the flower flower of life but it's also fuel somehow and it's i understand they tried to iron it out more in the novels but it's still kind of weird and uh, in macross it's it literally is like a proto culture it's like the culture that came before the humans and the zentradi and it turns out that the humans and Zentradi, the reason why they're so similar is because they have a common ancestor, and it's this proto-culture that uh, is long forgotten and is actually feared by the Zentradi because they all, all they know is war. So yes. they, they come into contact with the humans, and they think the humans are the proto-culture because, oh my god, you know, men and women are living together, cats and dogs, mass hysteria. Yeah, god, I knew it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and what what turns them, what what shocks the 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 Zentrata most of all is uh the singing of Lynn Minmay. And, <laughs> oddly enough, even though she's the most reprehensible character in the show. It, that's that's kind of an ironic twist is that uh this this person who who impacts them so much and teaches them so much about humanity is this vapid little girl who really doesn't understand anything that's going on and is totally self absorbed and and uh you know it's just kind of kind of a jerk and doesn't really doesn't really appreciate Rick Hunter or any of the I'm gonna use mostly the Robotech names just because <laughs> I don't want to keep bouncing back and forth, but obviously in some spots I will be using like Macross names. Yeah, it I'm I admit that this is gonna to be totally arbitrary on my part, who I'm gonna label with what name. But No, no, you must use the names from the from the Japanese release only. Uh no, I'm going to I'm going to assume that everyone listening is if you're familiar with these with these shows at all, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about, no matter which name I use. So. And if you're uh, familiar with our show, you know that, that we don't give a flying. Yeah, I don't care that much. I'm not gonna go Rick Hunter, who is also uh, secretly Racer X. <laughs> no, not that. But I almost said Ataru. I'm like, no, Ataru is uh, is the character from Ursa <laughs> Yetzer. <laughs> See, that's another reason is that I I get a lot of those names confused. It's Ataru and Hikaru and and uh, you know that, that I'm I'll be flubbing them off on like constantly. So I'm just gonna call him Rick. Yes. So uh, Ataru Atari. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway. <laughs> So anyway, that's the main that's the main difference between Robotech Macross and real Macross is that uh, the <laughs> whole the whole concept of of uh, this Zentradi race being being just dismantled by by being exposed to culture is sort of lost on Robotech because you know they they take the whole protoculture concept out and even though this stuff still happens they're still being being affected by Lin Minmay and 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 men and women kissing, you know, it's, it's kind of neutered and it's weird. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like looking through something through a dingy glass. And then, and then you finally see the real version and you're like, Oh, this is so much more clear. 
you know, is as much as I kind of riff on the the ADV version for you know being full of Japanese honorifics and everything and being unnecessarily uh, faithful in ways that it doesn't have to be, it is a much more uh, it is a much more clear interpretation of of Macross than what Carl Masick did, and you know, and that's that's kind of uh, a foreshadowing of the second part of the show is that um, I'm going to defend Carl Masick a lot, but he does he did make a lot of mistakes that I don't agree with, and um, one of them being uh, Big Brother and uh, and uh, you know adapting things in ways that are just kind of strange and unnecessary, and his whole his, his whole attempt to uh, make a space opera that combined three shows that didn't really fit together as well as he thought they did, and and how some of the implications are kind of damning to the characters, <laughs> such as Rick Hunter being the uh, the mass murdering uh, monster that he is if you if you accept the the must be to ending. But anyway, uh, other other differences. I'm going to go into Southern Cross and must be a little bit here. Uh, the Japanese continuity of Moss, of Southern Cross, uh, the the alien race is called the Zor, and they were are the original inhabitants of a planet called Glory. And obviously, in the American version, they threw all of that out, and Glory is Earth, and the Zor are now called the Robotech Masters, and they and for some reason they they were masters of the Zentradi, even though the Zentradi didn't seem to know who they were. See, it's very weird. It's like it's like the Robotech Masters have have culture, but for some reason the the Zentradi were afraid of culture, but they were slaves to the Robotech Masters. It's like, did you know these people or not? I don't. It's so strange, but it, it's stuff that I I I just kept I I just kept tripping over. Like the second time I watched through Robotech, I'm like, this is so this is so shaky. It's like it's like you stomp your foot and like uh you know the cardboard uh backdrop falls over it's like it's like i see what they did here this is all pasted together badly <laughs> and the character of zor from from yeah from robotech he was originally named Siegfried, and he was a much more interesting character in the in the japanese version because he was originally captured by the by the alien race and and then he was captured back by the earthlings and uh he he basically goes insane and he um he sacrifices himself in an in an act of revenge against the aliens and the way the way Southern Cross really ends is that uh there are several more ships in space of these of this race called the Zor and basically the Earthlings are are looking up at the sky like, Oh my god, we're fucked because uh this this character who was on our side basically just declared war against this other race and and we're so screwed, and this show ends, and we're led to believe that you know they they don't live another day, basically. And Robotech continuity says uh, no. Uh, basically, what happens is somehow he causes an explosion that releases the the seeds of the flower of life. The, 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 flower, the flowers of life. The fa- the flowers of life. See, this LR thing is gonna fuck me. <laughs> well, the, it does to the Japanese too, Neil. Yeah, he releases the seeds to the flower of life and that causes the the uh the the space crabs to come the <laughs> the uh the invid and that kicks off Mospita and there really isn't much to say about Mospita it's just it's just another rip off of of Macross like I said earlier and uh the the humans are not very heroic I, even even in the Robotech continuity they it 
they start off being being the heroes, but as, as the show goes on, you're like, yeah, I don't know. And then at the end, you know, uh, the 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 Mars division, which is supposed to be from the the big Robotech expedition in the Robotech version, the Mars division comes and launches these huge fucking missiles at the Earth, which is going to wipe out everything, including all the civilization and the Invid, and and they nearly they nearly destroy the Earth, except the Invid queen is what saves the day. She's she's like, you people suck. We're out of here. And on the way, just because we want to be nice, we're going to destroy these stupid missiles. Peace out. You're fucked. You know, you can you can destroy yourselves as far as we're concerned. And Robotech version says says that uh, Rick Hunter thought that thought that the Earth was fucked. Therefore, he said, launch these missiles at Earth. And you know it. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like, well, that kind of paints him as like a, as a monster because he's gonna wipe out, because the Earth is thriving. I mean, the, the Invid basically, uh, you know, fixed the ecosystem. The, the, whatever damage that had been done to the environment, they were fixing it, and so the Earth was really thriving with, under the Invid. You know, the, then Rick Hunter comes along. He's like, destroy everything. And <laughs> and I've heard Carl Masick try to defend this. I mean, there's this really hilarious four-hour interview on this on this uh, other podcast. I think it's called uh, Space Station Liberty. It was recorded a long time ago, but someone nailed him with this question, and he's just trying to dodge it. And it's like I'm like, yeah, that that's <laughs> this trying to put these three shows together really created kind of a a weird a weird thing where Rick Hunter almost be, turns into like Darth Vader it's like he's, <laughs> he starts he starts as this kid who's like who's like I hate war you're all murderers and then at the end of the show he's like launch missiles at the earth <laughs> it's, it's so weird and I don't know <laughs> it's I, I I I always thought that was I I always thought that was kind of weird and then when I heard someone just isolate it and, and put it to the guy who who actually came up with this i'm like there really is no defense of this it's like it, obviously they weren't thinking about this when they were producing the show they had like so many weeks to do it i mean it, for the amount of time that they put into it, it it's amazing that it came out as good as it did yes but it was like it was like yeah that's kinda, <laughs> that's kind of screwed up There was a sequel. It was going to be called The Sentinels, and they got three episodes into it. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen The Sentinels? Yes, I've seen ten minutes of The Sentinels. Yeah, The Sentinels is um, it's it's very strange because it's it's telling two sides of a story, and it's two sides that never meet because the show is never completed. It's like on one side Rick Hunter is getting married to Lisa, and then on the other side the 
<laughs> the Invid are just ripping ripping the shit out of the world of the Robodeck Masters. And lots of people die on one side. And on the other side, these it's like a three-part episode to get married for Rick Hunter. And then like they get married and they fly off into space and then that's the end of it. And that's literally all that happens. I mean, it's very... Well, well, actually, actually, the Sentinels has a, has a hilarious story where Tatsunoko was was actually doing the work for it. They were doing more than just just the animation. They yeah. were going to have writers that actually worked on Macross and Mospita doing the writing. Right. And what happened was what happened was the Japanese originally tried to write this as if as if okay, Macross, Southern Cross and Mospita are one continuity now. Mm-hmm. Let's try to figure this out and then Carl Mesa came into the room with a flow chart. Right. And then the writers quit. <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> I mean he tries to make it sound like it was a big revelation to the Japanese and I'm like I don't know it's a, because even by his own story they weren't really very cooperative with what he wanted to do I mean, they, I think they were very cooperative I think what happened was when he brought in the flow chart they looked at, they looked at it and they go and then, and then Rick like, Hunter did what it, it's like <laughs> You've you've turned our cartoons into Dune. <laughs> like I said, like I said, it's a, I I I think because this is not a very foreign concept to the Japanese of combining things that don't they don't relate into one sort of amalgam bullshit yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. They do this all the time. I mean, Super Robot Tyson. Yes. Exactly. Which is a much better amalgamation of different unrelated shows than what Robotech to the Sentinels would be. I mean, it was a noble attempt. I mean, they took some of the unused design designs from Southern Cross and they came up with a bunch of their own designs. And it was basically sort of, you know, kind of a sequel to, to Mospita while also working in some Southern Cross stuff. And it was... The only problem is that it was very... I don't know. It it was very American in in writing, which was like it was going to be like uh, set up in like little like, like little mini stories that would play out over a week. So it, it was like it, very. It was. It was because uh, because the the, the writers uh, and the thing is and the thing is, Masek actually called out the animator saying you're saying you have your A team working on these these new characters, Jack Baker and yeah. Karen Penn, and you're not focusing on Rick Hunter and Lisa. Yeah. What the hell? What what I think I'm getting at is that uh, they it wasn't very character driven. I mean, the, if you watch Macross, it is so character driven. It's so it's so drama driven that you know you you look at the, the concept for the Sentinels and it's like, well, this is just like straightforward action. It's like you have like an outline for an action series and what you want to do in terms of weeks and how you're going to liberate one star system after another. And it's like you're not really concentrating on like the character aspect that was so that was done so well in macross so that i think that i think kind of alienated the japanese writers a bit because they were like well you're not you don't want us to do what we're good at which is to actually do a very have drama heavy show you you want to do this thing where it's basically a toy you commercial. Do this kind of punchy kind of punchy kind yeah. of quick writing yeah it's nothing wrong with that kind of writing, but at the same time, that's not the style they're used to. And number two, I, I really think that the flow chart that Carl Masick brought into their room, writing room, kind of offended them. Yeah, it, it probably did. 
I wish I had a picture of it because I imagine it probably has lines going all over the fucking place. <laughs> probably. I picture I, I picture it's more complicated than one of those things that conspiracy theorist has linking Bigfoot to uh, to. I was gonna say New Coke. <laughs> it's... You know, you just have all these spider webs of cord and and and, and push pins and yeah. and stuff linking it all together. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's it had to be a mess. And what ultimately dissolved the whole deal was that, uh, you know, the, there were certain economic changes going on at the time. The the dollar fell to the yen a little bit, so uh, Japanese animation was getting a little expensive and. For anyone who remembers late 80s animation shifting from Japan to Korea, that's kind of what happened here. It's why the last, you know, season and a half of Transformers looks like shit because they couldn't use Toei as much as they wanted to anymore. And Tatsunoko's animation was going to be way too expensive for this. So they, the whole thing just kind of fell under. And I think, I think, uh, Mattel had pulled out Mattel and Match. No, I'm. Matchbox was involved. Yeah, Matchbox was involved, but Matchbox wasn't Mattel yet, so forget I said Mattel. Yeah, Matchbox pulled out. Um, I don't know if uh, if Rebel was still involved. See, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that's how this whole thing fits together with Rebel because Rebel is the is the company that came up with the term Robotech, and uh, Harmony Gold latched onto it so that they had a toy tie-in for Robot for the cartoon that they were producing. Which they called Robotech, but somehow in the over the course of time, Harmony Gold ended up with the trademark of Robotech. So I don't, I guess they struck a deal with Ravel, and I think Ravel's still around, but they're not really involved with it anymore. So uh, this uh, we've already talked about the movie, so I don't want to get in. So let's go to the the Jack McKinney novels, and I, I've never actually read any of these, but this is where the bulk of the Sentinels be told. Yes. Until as we said, the the comic adaptation that that ended the sentinels and kind of a a big rush job that was kind of nonsensical and stupid and led up to the shadow chronicle which is also kind of nonsensical and stupid <laughs> um this, the jack mckinney novels as far as i know um there is no man named jack mckinney it's all like uh it's a bunch of people that all write under the same pen name and there were like a ton of these novels there was like an adaptation of like each season of or each saga of Robotech, in, including the the unproduced Sentinels. So yeah, everything everything that was going to happen in the cartoon would end up being told in the novels or some version of it. I guess I guess they kind of changed things up for dramatic purposes and tried to explain the protoculture a little more, <laughs> a, a lot better than what the cartoon did and. Yeah, that's basically all I have to say about the Jack McKinney novels because it's it's not really it's not really part of uh, Carl Masick's uh, body of work. It's just kind of uh, a Harmony Gold trying to work with what they could, you know, with with the Robotech property, which they were no longer producing cartoons for, and uh, that I guess that leaves us with the Shadow Chronicles. I think I pretty much hit upon uh, everything it had needs to be said about the Shadow Chronicles. That it's um, a way to tie up the Sentinels. <laughs> it's yeah. basically all it is. It's like here, here's this race from the Sentinels that you know that oh guess what they're bad guys and uh, we kill them and then nothing happens. Yes. And then Warner Brothers and what's his name from Spider Man 
get involved and they tie up Robotech in legal limbo for years and years and years. And AVA Rad? No, uh, uh, the guy who played Spider-Man, what's his name? Uh, not, not Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. Yeah. He, he is the reason why there is no more Robotech in animation anymore. It's like, we, we cannot have Robotech because we have this live action movie deal that is going nowhere and will probably not go anywhere until maybe the license is about to expire. Then they'll be like, Oh, we have to produce a movie now. And then it'll probably suck and be like Green Lantern. And, Michael Bay presents. Uh, in conjunction with J.J. Abrams, and it'll be, it'll be giant gasoline explosions and lens flares, and uh, and and uh, I'm sure what's her name will be in it, the piece of ass from the Transformers movies. She's never starring in a Michael Bay film again. <laughs> she's well, she's in Ninja Turtles, although she, that's not really. A, I guess that's technically not a Michael Bay film per se. Well, so you have other stuff, other non-robotech stuff to talk about, Carl Masick about? Uh, that's pretty much the whole the whole Robotech series in general that I wanted to go through. Did you want to mention anything about about uh, Ro- Robotech or Macross in general? It's not a bad adaptation, and it certainly helped make anime more popular. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what we should what I should do is uh, go into some of the differences just between in terms of how it was localized the difference differences between uh macross and robotech and one thing that comes to mind is the tone and that is to say that in the adv version everyone is just yelling and screaming and they're excited and they're it's even when even when uh rick hunter shows up uh uh roy fokker's like it's like, what are you doing with that crop duster here? Get that off the runway! Blah 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 blah. And then in the Robotech version, he's like, now Rick. It's very, <laughs> everything is very low key in the Robotech version. Well, you can't have yelling on American television. <laughs> I know because uh, that would bump up their uh, their uh, their score. What 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 did Flint Dilly call that? The uh, can't have someone ha- knocking heavily on a door or anything like that yeah they'll, they'll bring up their violence score yeah the violence score it's like you can't have yelling they have to be very low-key and, <laughs> and they thanks jeez yeah that's the in terms of adaptation that's like the main difference other than what i mentioned earlier about how they did all about protoculture which i'm going through again see buses about 34c yeah there's that too it's like <laughs> uh Max is such a perv in the in the Macross adaptation as he was in the original Japanese version. In in the in the Robotech version, he's like, "Golly, she's pretty." No, he's he's totally he's totally Cam Clark. So he's doing all of <laughs> Cam Clark's things. You know, everything you remember from from Ninja Turtles and and Akira, he's doing all of that. And like I said to you earlier, it it hearing him again, it it made me realize that that. Uh, Homestar Runner did an awesome, perfect even uh, a version of his voice with Stinko Man, <laughs> where he's like, he's like, uh, he's saying something to to Kakazaki, and he's he's like, maybe they're in love or something. He's talking about, <laughs> he's, he's, he's talking about Rick and Minmay, and sure enough, in in uh, in Akira, I think he he does something like that, where he's like. He's like, no way, you're just a kid. Maybe when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and that's what they did in in the Homestar cartoon. I'm like, I'm like, yes, he does talk like that, Leonardo. <laughs> yeah, totally Leonardo. <laughs> that's why that's why I think the the voice in Turtles Forever wasn't that bad because he was doing that in there too. <laughs> he was very close. He was more closer to Akira Cam Clark than the. Turtles Cam Clark, but it was still a Cam Clark-esque performance. Yeah, because uh, in all fairness, the the Ninja Turtles version of, of Cam Clark, he's a bit he's a bit wussier. He, he's a, he, well, that's because that's because that show is so pussified. But uh, but you know, again, the guy who they got through to imitate Rob Paulson was oh my god. Oh my god, that was like the best Rob Paulson impersonation ever. I can't believe that it was that close. I, I I I'm pretty sure that really was Rob Paulson just had to sign a different name because of guild rules or something. Probably. Yeah, it was. If I ever get to talk to him, I'll ask him and I'll say, just off the record, was that really you or not? Just you just had to put a different name because of guild rules. Good money, you can tell me. I don't know. I think it was a different guy, but he was pretty close. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on geekcastradio.com. Are you looking for a weekly dose of gaming news and retro? Check out Off the Cuff, available Fridays on Geekcast Radio Network from the producers of XRG. New name, same. By the power of Grayskull, I command the Jaw Bridge. Open! Yes, that's right. We have traveled to Eternia to enter Castle Grayskull. Join Optimus Solo and TF2 and Mike as they find themselves telling tales of Eternia. We cover all things He-Man in this 45-episode-long podcast. You can find us on iTunes and www.geekassradio.com. By the power of Grayskull, we all have the power. And now, back to the show. I guess we can move on to Carl Masick. Just more general Carl Masick type coverage Harmony here. Gold. Yeah, Harmony Gold, Streamline Pictures, um, Lady Death, and Heavy Battle 2000. Oh, God. Yeah. Not all winners. Heavy, he was involved in Heavy Metal 2000? Tangentially. I mean, it wasn't all his fault. Did we watch that together? I don't remember. I, I we, we definitely talked about it with... Uh, yeah. Hal Hefner. I, yeah, I, we watched it. I didn't. I don't think we watched it together, but we definitely watched it. So Carl Masick, the genius behind it all, he was. Uh, I guess how he came into uh, being involved with uh, Robotech was uh, he was originally involved in in the Heavy Metal magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, he found out that uh, I'm trying to remember because I don't have this actually written down. He 
he had someone come to his shop because he had like a he had like a a, a gallery of like anime stills that he was selling. You know, he'd sell like stills from like all sorts of shows, and uh, someone had uh, someone had uh, had licensed uh, Macross. Well, the way I remember it is he had to have it because yeah. he knew Macross, and he had to have it. You know, he looked at it and he says, it will be mine. Oh, yes, it will be mine. <laughs> okay, it actually was Harmony Gold that came to his shop, and I don't remember what they were, what they needed the stills for, because they weren't really thinking about ad- adapting the cartoon, I guess. But he had kind of talked them into letting him... He asked if they had if they had the license for the cartoon and, and rights to do, like, comics and stuff and everything. And they got back to him and said, yeah. So he he basically talk them into letting him produce a four-episode pilot to be sold exclusively through Heavy Metal Magazine. And awesome. That's how, that's how this all got started. And there there actually is one episode available of that that's on, like, it's on both the Robotech uh, DVD collection and the Macross one. So there's two ways to get it. And it's it's really strange because it's 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 the Robotech voices, but they're they're telling the story of Macross. And there's a little bit, there's a little bit more, uh, is it a little bit more adult as well? Uh, it is, yeah. Well, it's still got got kind of the gosh golly gee whiz uh, kind of slant to it, but I don't think they they cut out any of the stuff that they did for TV. Mm. You know, such as people getting getting uh, gored and and explosions, killing tons and tons of people in, the, in that first episode. Mm. So it it was definitely kind of like the way you would think of it as like anime being released on. VHS where it's like uh, it's much more adult than what you're used to and this is like early 80s it wasn't like the 90s like like you would normally think of as like early anime so that happened and and uh, I don't remember how they got to got to talking about doing it for for broadcast television but they they needed they needed a higher uh, episode count so that's where the idea of like mixing other shows together came from because back then to get syndication, you had to have 65 episodes. Yeah, and I don't like really like calling it the magic six, 65 or anything like that. It's just like what it was at that time that he needed. But yeah, so he, he like I said, he got Southern Cross. He tried to get Orgus, and that fell through. So they got they got Muspita, which um, ended up being kind of the kryptonite of the show. I think Muspita is <laughs> not very good. I mean, it, people kind of remember it fondly because it was it was adapted much much more uh, competently than Southern Cross, but uh, ultimately it's it's kind of a shitty show. But uh, let's see what else. Macross was adapted for uh, 85 episodes. It was combining all three shows together. It was only 84, but he made like a clip show, which is kind mm. of hilarious because there already were two clip shows in Macross. <laughs> it's like there was there was a global's report which was literally just the first i don't know 14 15 episodes all kind of stuffed together into one episode and then like literally three episodes later they did another one but it was a kind of a creative one because they it was it was it's the episode where where rick is having a fever dream and it's like all the clips from previous episodes but they, they all have like this weird slant on them he's like having a nightmare it's like the nightmare version of a clip show, and it's awesome. And uh, so there's that. And then they made a third one, which didn't exist until Carl Mace was like, we need episode 85. So they made that. It's it's Dana Sterling from, from Southern Cross 
being like, being like, my mom and dad were, were part of the Macross saga and blah, blah, blah. She didn't say Macross saga, but you, you know, it's basically, yeah. uh, it's basically Harmony Gold trying to connect two shows that have nothing to do with each other. And that it was kind of, it's really a dumb episode. And, uh, oh, you know, that, that made, that reminds me of something that we skipped, which is, uh, Operation Robotech. Or was it, no, it's Codename Robotech, which is the, the pilot movie that they made, which is basically just Global's report uh, expanded out to 90 minutes. And it, it's, again, it's not very good because it's just, it's a clip episode, but it's, it's so, because it was, it was uh, aired first, it was like really strange. And, you know, you never met any of these characters and yet, you know, they're just being tossed at you. It's like ace pilot Rick Hunter and he's immediately shot down 10 minutes into the show and, <laughs> it's um it, yeah it's it's basically it it's like a not good version of uh global's report that's all it's really all that needs to be said it's herky jerky and badly uh paced and can, and, can, I, can I bring up the, the toy deal that almost happened yeah yeah you can do that okay uh there was almost something else tacked on to the end of robotech yeah. well actually to the beginning of robotech i should say um I, I love this because this was such a bad decision for both continuities, yeah. and such a such a horrible idea that Exo Squad was almost a prequel to Robotech. That would have been hilarious <laughs> because it would have been like everything that Macross did, to, or everything that Robotech did to Macross. It would have been Exo Squad doing that to Robotech. <laughs> it's like. We will graft you onto our continuity now. No! Too late. <laughs> that she feels okay with it. That would have been simultaneously a travesty and awesome <laughs> at the same time. I would have laughed so hard. It almost happened because the thing is it was going to happen because of a toy deal. Yeah. And there are that... people who took advantage of that because some, some of the Macross toys were released under ExoSquad and some and there were toys that were never released before, so people are like, "Oh, the oh my God, those those toys are out now!" So they ran out and got them. Yes, brought them home. Fap 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 fap. <laughs> there are people who love those those uh, those Macross toys. Well, the original Valkyrie is quite nice. Yeah, especially the uh, the Transformers version. <laughs> Which yes. is that's kind of a funny story in itself because the wasn't there actually an episode where he was in Gerwalk mode? There was, but that's not what I'm getting at. Uh, okay. Uh, the the UN Spacey logo, that kind of triangle looking thing that you see in Macross, that was actually on the Jetfire toy for the first uh, for the first release of the toy. They took it off later on, but I actually know a guy who had that. I thought I always thought that was neat is that the the UN Spacey logo from Macross is on Jetfire. <laughs> I'm like, yes, ultimate crossover. Oh God. Yes. But anyway. So what other what other notes can we talk about with uh, Streamline Pictures, Harmony Gold, etc. Well, I was just getting to Streamline Pictures. Actually, uh, before we get to that, I, uh, God, we were talking about uh, how Robotech came to be and how Carl Masick was involved in it. Yeah. Um, he, like I said, he was involved in in uh, in uh, Heavy Metal Magazine, and he had gotten the deal through through Harmony Gold coming to his uh, through his gallery to be a 
be a part of the adaptation of Robotech and yada yada. And that, that's, that's how we got to the TV series. And, uh, and after that, there were some other shows that they tried to do at Harmony Gold, which ended up being hilarious. Like, uh, they were going to do an adaptation of, uh, Captain Harlock. They were going to yes. do, they're going to do an adaptation of Captain Harlock. And, and this one guy working at Harmony, Harmony Gold's like, Hey, I, I, I just sold Har- uh, Captain Harlock to, uh, into syndication and, 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 uh, just off, off top of his head, Carl Masick knew that, you know, there weren't enough episodes. And he's like, well, uh, there aren't, there are only like, I don't know, 20 some episodes in, in, uh, in Captain Harlock. And the guy's like, uh, shit, what do we do? And, uh, as it turns out, there's a second, there's a second Harlock series. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know what it is offhand, but it actually would have brought up, it actually would have, brought the episode count to 65 or close enough that they could have done like a clip show to kind of fill it in. And, and they tried to get that and they couldn't. So they had to settle upon uh, Queen Millennium, which is how they got Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years pasting together two shows that even that were even more foreign to each other than what Robotech was. So it's like this show where there are two protagonists and they never actually meet and somehow they stitch these two shows together and and the way it was done was different than Robotech. Instead of like doing it doing it in a linear fashion where it's like one show and then another show and then another show, it's like they would cut they would actually cut from one show to the other and then back again. And I've never even seen one episode of this and I've tried to find it. I I I can't I, it might be a lost show, like no I don't know if anyone even has copies of it or anything. But it well, sounds... we talked about I might have seen it. Yeah, that's true. It's it, you might have seen it. It's it is the stupidest story I've ever heard. And and I'm sure there are stupider stories, but it, it's the stupidest story I've ever heard. In, in uh, getting a show to uh, to television, it's just this this idiot who tried to uh, acquire Harlock and then had to had to paste together two two shows like this. And um, they did the best they could, I guess. And uh, it, and somehow, according to Carl Masick, they they left in a lot of the adult scenes. Like there were like naked women in the show, and and this went to air into syndication, and like no one said anything about it. And maybe it was just one of those things. Like it aired once, and no one actually cared. If, maybe if it aired again or continued to air in syndication, maybe someone would have been like, hey, but. There's maybe, boobies here. Maybe it's one of those things where it was like at five o'clock in the morning and no one was watching. It's like I've never, other than you, I've never met anyone who even knows about this show. I didn't even know that this show exists. I always assumed that the other anime stitch uh, show was uh, was Voltron. I have no idea how this happened, but it's yeah. so it is something I have seen. Yeah. God, but, uh, I wish I wish I could see it, but it was very unmemorable. Well, the only reason why I remember is because I have a weird brain, and I I am my brain and body have been prepping me for the eventual time I'm going to show up on Jeopardy and do a clean sweep. <laughs> that is why I remember odd incidental things that I don't know why I would remember. I'm coming for you, Alec. I guess from here we'll move on to streamline fiction. Yes. And this is where I get familiar with uh, 
Carl Basics work because really, if Robotech was on syndication in Chicago, it was on like, I don't know, Channel 50 or Channel 66, which were like way buried in the UHF spectrum that I didn't even know they existed for like the longest time. They got it all on UHF. <laughs> you can watch yeah. them all day, you can watch them all night. Yeah, it, it took me a while to find those networks, and it was like, and again, it was totally motivated by cartoons, because like one day I'm just flipping this, you know, the big UHF dial that's under the, the VHF dial, you're like, God, what are the, all these channels? And then I stumble upon the King Leonardo cartoons, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, because even back then I was a hipster, and I loved like really <laughs> dated animation for some reason. George, but anyway, George. yeah, George of the Jungle, and because before that, you know, they would show like like uh, WFLD, which is the Fox Network. They they would show like uh, Underdog and Tennessee Tuxedo, which everyone's seen like a million times. But you know, I've never I'd never seen George of the Jungle. I've never seen King Leonardo up to that point. So th- I'm guessing that's where Robotech was if it was ever on the air in Chicago. Because we will find I, out. Some Chicagoans will respond. I'm yeah maybe. I mean, I'm guessing it had to be on because there are people who knew about it. And, but you know, the first time I ever saw Robotech, or yeah, first time I'd ever, I'd ever seen Robotech, like someone at, in high school had like uh, one of the uh, tabletop RPG books, and I look, I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's Jetfire. I'm like, what the hell is Jetfire doing on this thing called Robotech? And that's that's when my brain exploded, and I began to understand what Transformers was. It's just this hodgepodge of existing cart- of uh, existing toy lines that I never knew about. Ooh. But anyway, Streamline Pictures. And this is where they had done like a, a proper uh, dub of Megazone 2-3, you know, without all the, uh, the stupid uh, Southern Cross footage mixed in. It's like an actual good version of it. And But the, the shows that I remember most of all are The Dirty Pair and Golgo 13. Love it. It's yes. a... The the original Dirty Pair cartoon is so enjoyable to watch. Yes, it's uh, it really is one one of the one of the best uh, one of the best sort of buddy cop action yeah. animated action comedies done. And I I think this is really where you know you can you can sort of find and weed out the uh, you know the people who who actually do love anime and animation. And the people who are the the true hipsters and <laughs> and, and hoity-toity fart-smelling, you know, fart-smelling, yeah, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Akira is just such a fine, fine cartoon movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it's a <laughs> oh, no. Ghost of the Shell <sighs> defines and, and challenges your thoughts of reality. <laughs> and then here's Dirty Pair. Yeah, it's like you know what. Fuck you and your and your existential bullshit. I'm just gonna watch these two, these two goofy broads in space bikinis blowing shit up. That's that's all I need. And and you know if you if you know me, you know that I do this comic called Decian, and Decian is largely largely based on this era of anime. You know, yes. particularly Dirty Pair and and stuff like that. Yeah, Streamline Pictures. Uh, I remember. I just remember the. You know, discovering this thing called anime because, uh, or actually, it wasn't called anime. It was it was Japanimation back then. That is so racist. <laughs> uh, it's a portmanteau. I mean, 
I don't think anyone was actually thinking of it as as Jap animation as some people assume it is. You know, it was just people going like, "Hey, it's animation from Japan." Japan animation, you know, that's that's what the thought was. And while we're on the subject, let me talk about this little brunch word too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a portmanteau. So I, anyway. I know that's my point. They're both portmanteaus. Yeah, and again, going back to the late '80s, it was a time when we were kind of frustrated with animation on TV because um, the whole animation bubble had burst for the second time in the '80s and whatever quality we had coming from from uh, Japanese animated cartoons is now gone so we had to we had to uh <laughs> I'm making it sound like we were desperate we had to find good animation but yeah the, suddenly we were confronted with this with this VHS market of of direct to video uh cartoons from this mysterious land called Japan that we never ever thought that Japan that cartoons were being produced there for some reason, even though it was perfectly obvious if we ever read the credits of Transformers, but you know it, it like I said, Dirty Pair, Golgo Thirteen, Castle Cagliostro, My Neighbor Totoro, all these awesome cartoons that came from uh, Streamline that they they very deliberately and and uh, systematically sought out the best shows that could be adapted for an American audience. It's not like not like ADV where they would kind of go for all the weeaboo shit like uh i don't know like you know i have one show in mind it's like i can't think of what the name of it is so i'll just move on but yeah and uh, adv would always go for these really obscure shows you know some shows that like required you to uh actually know something about japanese culture which is fine but you have to understand that that's also kind of like catering to a niche market so like something not like the global not the stuff that appeals to a global market yeah, and again, we're not we're not trying to be snobs here, but you know, if if you want to make money, you're kind of you kind of have to gravitate to the stuff that is going to be neutral. So so it's not going to have like a lot of heavy Japanese culturalism. It's going to have stuff that can be related to, you know, people, you know, not only living in America but also living in Europe and and Australia and and Africa. You know, stuff stuff that, you know, you don't have to have like stuff written in like uh at the bottom of the screen in the uh on the subtitle track to explain what's going on like like the uh Urusei Yatsura cartoons have to be it's like it's like in order to understand this joke it has to be you have to understand blah 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 it's like you know that's that's not fun i don't i don't understand there are people who who like that like that sort of thing and that's fine but i don't understand the mentality of expecting everyone else to appreciate that I, I came to be entertained. I didn't come to be educated and then expect to be entertained and follow notes about culture. Because the thing is this, you know, as some listeners know, I, I come from a multicultural background. I'm half Korean. My mom is a Korean mother and my father is an American. And, uh, and I grew up expected to learn how to speak Korean, expected to follow Korean culture at the same time as American culture. And number one, let me tell you, that doesn't help you at all with watching anime. Korea and Japan ain't, 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 ain't anything no. alike. No. Number two, number two, Korean culture tells you that on New Year you have to eat this bland rice dumpling soup that's called dock soup. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. And you have to finish the whole bowl for good luck or something like that. Right. 
I never finish that bowl. And it's never good. It doesn't taste good. I like other Korean food, but not that kind of – and there's other little traditions and, and stuff too that, you know, quite frankly goes over my head. And according to Korean culture, sleeping in a room with a with a fan, with a, with a rotary fan running at the same time as you're sleeping is going to kill you. Mm-hmm. There, this is a real Korean culture thing. It's called fan death. Now, now obviously, Koreans are a very smart, bright, intelligent people. I mean, they, they are – one of the biggest economies in the world. They they are one of the biggest technology bases in the world. But this is a still believed thing that having a rotary fan running in your bedroom while you sleep will kill you. Okay. Now, imagine you're watching a show and the, and this is supposed to be like the fundamental basis of a gag or a joke. If I did not just explain that to you now if you saw some sort of gag of, oh, you better leave that fan off if you want to live to the next morning or something like that, would you get it? No. And this is this is what Neil was saying. You know, this, yeah. this is why, you know, these cliff notes and stuff like that about culture to, to just get into a show and watch it. I mean, I, I, I mean, fucking, it's like, you know, it's, it's like f- fucking, uh, fucking the, the, the dub of Naruto had to explain why why sticking your your index finger up another guy's asshole is a prank <laughs> odd cartoon network yeah god <laughs> i don't get it see i think you made a pretty good point just saying that you know some of these cultural uh things that are going on in anime don't even translate from one from one asian country to the next i mean it's just purely japanese weirdness that <laughs> You know, this the stuff that like Funimation and, and ADV would try to try to you know, dump upon us back back in the late nineties and early two thousands was just kind of like the weirdest shit. It was actually Kodacha that I was trying to think of, that show. It's uh-huh. like if unless you were just totally absorbed in Japanese culture, why the fuck would you ever watch that show? Also Azumanga Dayo, which is a cute show, but you know, anyone who any no one but the most absorbed fan of anime is going to go after that show it's just like so it's just a bunch of japanese schoolgirls and they do japanese things and it's a bunch oh, yeah, of stuff that you know someone from bumblefuck iowa is not going to care about cuz it's like i don't understand anything that's going <laughs> on here and the same thing is true of our stuff going to other countries i mean um i was i was watching something from some some guy who does anime translations, I, it might have been might have even been the guy who worked on Macross, the the ADV version, said something like uh, he tried to adapt some uh, some American colloquialisms to Japanese, and he he had some phrase that was like like oh you're really digging your digging yourself a bigger hole there, and they didn't they totally did not get that. They, Japanese people were like what the fuck are you talking about and like. Any American speaker automatically knows what that what that uh, phrase means. It's like it's you're like, making the problem worse. Yeah, you're making the problem worse. People in other countries no idea what that what that means. And Let that's me give kinda, you another example. That's kind of what it's, I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, when I was in high school, we had a French class, and the French teacher was actually French, mm-hmm. and she made us watch these two French movies that were like uh, actually you know they they were like a movie and its sequel about this family growing grapes for wine and uh 
a hidden spring or something like that. And there was this whole thing about whenever someone dies, they go into the person's house and stop the grandfather clock in the in the that person's house mm-hmm. because that person died. And before we even started watching the movies, the French teacher had to explain this to us. Yeah. Being like, okay, if you're watching this movie, when you're watching this movie and see someone go into someone's house and stop their clock, it's because that person died. Yeah. And Um, (laughs) number one, it's a French movie. Right. I mean, (laughs) need I explain why why this is failed getting a bunch of 15 year old kids sitting still to watch a French movie in French? Yeah. Because an artsy French movie. It's like it's not just the language that you're learning; it's also the the culturalisms. It's all the the weird sort of uh, you know phrases that you know don't really translate if you're if you're at a beginner's level, and that's kind of what the problem is. Parlez-vous fromage? Yeah, it's it's kind of a problem you know with all languages, I think. But because we're talking specifically about you know adapting anime, that's you know, this is what's going to come up most often. Well, this is a problem with culture. It, yeah. It's almost as if we need one culture before them all, a sort of protocol. Proto- uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. But, uh, yeah, so it's like our stuff is just as befuddling to them as theirs, their stuff is to us. And there are ways around it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to localize this stuff. It's like we should. Yeah, that's, the one, that's what we're saying. We're, we're saying we should try to localize because trying to do a one-to-one translation means you have to have cliff notes and, and author notes and culture notes. And, and before you start this DVD, here is a five-step lesson on Japanese culture. You have to pass this test before you get begin watching. Yeah, and there are smarter ways to do that. And also, actually, what, we were, what, we were, what this all stemmed off from was that uh, Streamline Pictures was very choosy in how they – in what they selected. They – they weren't going after you know stuff that was just buried deep in in Japanese lore. It was stuff that could be translated to English very easily. It's like, and mainly that that encompassed stuff that was already cribbing from American culture, which was like, you know, anything that referenced Terminator or aliens or or especially uh, uh, Blade Runner, because my God, or Chicago, yeah, Chicago, yeah, oh my God, you know late 80s early 90s anime they they love themselves some blade runner because you know <laughs> like jesus tears and rain jesus christ the the bubblegum crisis and uh <laughs> it's like we we had a whole episode about this it's like all all the animes that uh reference uh blade runner it's like the blade runner era of anime is what we call yeah, it bubblegum crisis and i don't even remember i know there were two other shows and i can't uh, it was it was the one with uni puma yeah, oh, yes, yes, uh, god damn it, Dominion Tank Police. Yeah, so, basically, they, they were, they were adapting stuff that was already, uh, already entrenched in what, what we had given to Japan. It was like, it's like, they loved our stuff, so they, so they basically ripped us off and gave it back to us. And that's, yeah. that's the bulk of what Streamline Pictures would, uh, would, uh, localize. The cyberpunk. Yeah, the cyberpunk era. And, you know, Streamline Pictures was a it was a good little company. It didn't last very long. It eventually got absorbed into Orion Pictures. And that made that mostly had to do with the fact that Orion went through bankruptcy and they needed uh they needed a catalog of shows and movies and they had nothing. They couldn't use all their old movies, so they bought Streamline Pictures from uh from Carl Masick and then promptly ran it into the ground by, you know, 
ironically enough, lowering the prices of the, the movies, which, you know, made them seem less special. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds counterintuitive. It's like, how can you lower the prices and then fail? But they managed to do it <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm guessing it was, you know, these, these movies that, you know, kind of seem special because they were overpriced and suddenly when they're down to like $19, now it's like, oh, these really are just cheap cartoons and, and then Streamline Pictures kind of uh, fell to the side and along came uh, Central Park Media and Manga Entertainment and ADV. And some of what those companies did were okay. I mean, I do like Central Park Media. I thought they made a lot of good stuff and I'm, I'm sad to see that they're gone now. Yeah. They were responsible for the Slayers dub, after all. Yes, or, they were. Uh, the TV version, anyway. Yes. At some point, Carl Masick was hired on board at ADV Films, and he wanted he wanted he I think he he joined them specifically to to produce Dunbine or a Battler Dunbine, and they put him on a bunch of lame shows. They put him on uh, I don't know I think uh, not not Dominion Tank Place. What's what's that other spinoff of uh, Bubblegum Crisis? It's uh, the uh, uh, something Crash. No, not not Bubblegum Crash. I'm thinking of uh, AD Police. Okay. Yeah, they did a new version of AD Police, and it was kind of garbage. And and then they went on to produce the only original animated feature that ADV ever did, which was Lady Death. And my God, this was atrocious. <laughs> um, I guess his involvement with this was that he wrote and and storyboarded this to a certain degree, and then they ADV and all of its wisdom took him off the project, and the result was this very badly produced cartoon that Lady Death. Yeah, based on the American comic book. I I know the American comic book. It, it never interested me. That that it, it's uh. It's it's like of all the properties. It, it, the number one, the, the you know, I've always had a problem with Lady Death. It's you know, it's uh. The design, the story—it was, uh, it—it's it, just. <sighs> I never knew that there was a story. It just Lady Death is like one of those characters, like Vampirella, where I see I see her and I know what she looks like, but I was never ever tempted to pick up a comic of her ever. And this is coming from a guy who loves Dirty Pear and any other cartoon <laughs> character with tiny. Well, pants. It, it's it's more like Elvira number one. Yeah. And number two is 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 uh, back when I was in high school, there was this guy that everyone thought was this great artist in, in my class, uh, who I've never heard of, and I've looked him up and I've never found him since. And he was talking about how he wants to go into the big time. He wants to draw Lady Death professionally, and yeah. So he, this is a guy who you could tell is like a tracer. Ah. Uh. 
where he could draw something really good and most people would be like, oh, that's awesome. This is great. I'm like, okay, can he draw someone jumping backwards and landing on one foot on a pole? And then he, he gets really scared if you ask him to do that. You draw it yourself and it doesn't look as pretty as what he draws like as still photos as he practices over and over and over again. But you can draw things from your head and he can't. Yeah. yeah. And that and the thing is, he got the, he he drew nothing but Lady Death, Lady Death, Lady Death, Lady Death. And then I I go, okay, can you draw Spider Man? Give me a few days. A come few back. Days. G- come back and he drew Spider Man. Like, hey, that looks a lot like the cover that came out two days ago. Yeah, that's kind of sad. <laughs> well, he's he's a great tracer. It's just the thing is, he c- kind of shit at you know drawing from your mind. Yeah. See, I don't think that's such a bad thing not being able to draw things immediately from your mind just because you know there are not immediately just not at all oh yeah because i was about to say there's like no one in the comic book industry who can do that but you know because this is this is why a lot of the old time comics if you ask the old time comicers if you ask them what an art morgue is they're like oh yeah and they'll they'll bring out a huge box that's like full of magazines or like references it's like here's here's all my guns here's all my tanks here's all my horses you know it's like just magazine upon magazine, and nowadays we call that Google Images. Well, that's true. That's true. But at the same time, I'm talking about he can't draw anything. Yeah, that's kind of pathetic. from 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 mental ability. Like, it's all has to be based entirely off of a one to one reference. Yeah, that's that's really terrible. He and was really do, good at it. He, he he was like a, a human photocopier, but other than that, you know. It's, like I said, I looked him up and I can't find him anywhere. So yeah. I think we know what happened at, the, at with his story, but that that's pretty much my Lady Death story. Yeah, yeah, Lady Death. I've seen Lady Death. I I got it on DVD. I don't know why, because I again I just I just identified it as this character who I would see her comic book and I'd be like, wow, I'm never going to buy that. And for some reason, I got the movie and. <laughs> And it's and I, right I, next it's, to Robin and the Dreamweavers. And no, I sold it. But <laughs> which one, Robin and the Dreamweavers? No, I, I sold Lady Death. I still have oh. Robin and the Dreamweavers. <laughs> but it's it's not even that I knew Carl Masick was involved because at that time I really was not familiar with Carl Masick. So I was like, so I'm like, oh, I'll get this Lady Death cartoon, and oh my god, it was terrible. It was it's just like it's one of the most static and bland pieces of animation, and I'm using finger quotes animation. I've ever seen. I can't believe someone like seriously thought this was worth producing. I can't believe someone released this and was, you know, had the courage to to show their face in public, being like, "Yes, I released Lady Death." I'm looking at you, Matt Greenfield. <laughs> it's like, I would be I would be ashamed to release this. Mm. I would also be ashamed to release Heavy Metal 2000. <laughs> Which oh was, yes. Oh god. It, basically, it's the same story over again. Is that Carl Masick was involved very early on, and you know, as they were seeking funding and 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 everything, it the project became so muddled down. And like, you know, this investor wants one thing, and another investor wants another. And at the at the end of the day, it was like too many cooks in the kitchen, and corners were cut, and it was sent to this really bargain basement studio in korea again not knocking korean studios but this was like a really bad one and yeah. probably the same studio that produced lady death 
I, I think, as Emperor Palpatine would say, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Some mistakes were made. Yes. And what what the result was was a really disappointing follow-up to a great film, which was the original Heavy. Yes. Which is so so filled with great animation and great music. And then this movie, it's like... No, you know, no music. There was music in it. It's just that it was so forgettable. Maybe it's just that I'm kind of an 80s guy and all this 90s rock and metal that was, was in it. There was music in it? Are you it sure? Just, it just... I thought there was. Maybe I'm just assuming there was. 90s rock. You, you know what? The, the only thing I picture when you say that is, is freaking is, is some is some freaking Nirvana plans like in, in this these other Seattle garage bands that suck. It's I'm going to look up the the soundtrack to Heavy Metal 2000 cuz I know there is one. I'm just to see who's on it. And I I'm pretty sure it's all forgettable bands. Heavy Metal 2000 soundtrack for this. Okay, here we go. Okay, Monster Magnet, MDFMK. Okay, Pantera, but this was like, this was in the era that Pantera was like way too growly and heavy even for me. <laughs> Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> System of the Down. Queens of the Stone Age, Machine Head. It's like half half bands that I recognize and I hate them, and half bands that I've never heard of. And hate them. Yeah. Okay, Billy Idol was on this. That's like, that's the shining light right there is Billy Idol. Yeah, this is, oh, this is not a good soundtrack. And the animation was just horrible. It was like, okay, the original Heavy Metal was this compilation movie that was full of, that was basically like, one story after another after another. Heavy Metal 2000 was basically uh, one giant story that it was sucked. a story about Kevin Eastman's wife, basically badly animated because that's the biggest crime of all is that Kevin Eastman has a hot wife and they produced this. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's Julie Strain. I mean, you you could make this awesome cartoon featuring Julie Strain, and the way she was drawn in that cartoon is just inexcusable. You would never know that it was her, except that you hear her voice. Whoa. Yeah. So now now you see now you see my pain. These things happen, Neil. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, that's that's the the two disappointing parts of the later part of Carl Masick's career. But it picked up again because he produced Aura Battler Dunbine for ADV before ultimately being let go because they didn't want to keep him around for some reason. <laughs> but Dunbine is not a show that I've seen, and I'm going to have to see it at some point. And maybe we can even do a show about it. But yep, I had he had said on, a, on another interview that, that was basically his dream is to do that show. And he got to do it, and I'm glad he did because that was like pretty much the last thing he worked on. <laughs> Aww. Well, he did. Uh, he did some other things. Like he adapted uh, an old uh, uh, book by a uh, guy who did. God damn it! You know, I have these notes, and I think that I'm just gonna remember people's names, and then I don't. The guy who did War Eagles, and I should. Uh, Marion C. Cooper wrote War Eagles. And that's the same Marion C. Cooper who produced King Kong. Really? And, yeah. And uh, what had happened was uh, Carl Masick got the rights to do an adaptation. I think he did, I think he was trying to do like a movie script for it. 
And he actually got as far as uh, talking to Ray Harryhausen about doing a movie adaptation, and but that never came to be. And there was a there was a novel version released based on his adaptation, and um, that was, you know, that was one of the last things he did. And he and uh, Carl Masick died of a heart attack in uh, in early 2010, like literally weeks after doing a podcast interview for I think uh, Anime News Network, which is a shame because if if there was ever a guy in animation that I would want to interview, it would have been him. I guess other than other than like Chuck Jones or someone like that, just because he is the guy that was of my era, even though he, even though the the show that he's probably most known for is not something I grew up with. I did, I did uh, get to appreciate the stuff he did for Streamlight Pictures. I mean, that was a big part of pushing me in an artistic direction that I probably would have not gone in otherwise. It was. You know the whole, the whole cyberpunk thing. The, you know, the girls with big, cute eyes and poofy hair and everything like that. That I got, I got to experience through uh, Dirty Pair, and that's pretty much, you know, being getting familiar with Dirty Pair is how I got to, uh, got came to appreciate the work of Adam Warren and so on and so forth. So he was yes. kind of like a catalyst to a lot of things that would. Uh, that would eventually evolve into my general taste in art and comics and cartoons and all that. So that's that's why I've always wanted to do an episode about him and why I was not not entirely happy with the other show that we did. Although it is a good episode, I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking it too much. You should go listen to it, even though it's not about Carl Masick. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we're wrapping up then. Yes. All right. Well, uh, this show's been with TV's Mr. Neil. And we're saying goodnight. Bye-bye.
Okay. Yeah, that was that was pretty much what I wanted to do. Well, damn it, Neil. Yeah. Now I can't look at pictures of Hulk Hogan without noticing his freakishly long arms. He does have long arms in like in like later <laughs> photos. And it's all because I guess that's what happens when you do the leg drop to like thousands of wrestlers. It's just like after a while his his spine got compressed and <laughs> so now it looks like he has like ape arms. <laughs> The Even though they're called, they're they really want... they're really not all that long, it's just that his body is shorter. <laughs> Everybody's working for the... that was a great commercial, by the way. Yeah, I love that commercial. That was awesome. I like that they used Cubert <laughs> and Cliff. Yes, I almost thought you said Heathcliff. I was like, no, no, and Cliff Clavin. Yes. yes, that's that's a treasure right there, John Ratzenberger. <laughs> yes. He's done lots of voice work. Yeah, he's he's. I think he's in every single uh, uh, Pixar movie. He is. Yes. I wonder if they're gonna put him in that Star Wars movie they're working on. <laughs> Which, ironically enough, he was in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> he was uh, he was a a background character in uh, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Excellent. I just remembered that. Excellent. Well. If they're really nerdy, they can even cast him as the same character. Give him a speaking line. Yeah, see, I was back in Cloud City 20 years ago, and, uh, and I noticed something about uh, Lando Calrissian back then. Uh, <laughs> not, it's, it's, it's not a well-known fact, but Darth Vader could only breathe for three minutes at a time. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Oh boy, what what do you think of the of the latest goings ons with what the internets? Oh, I don't know. Joe, you know, Angry Joe is such. A I wasn't talking about that. But oh. Any news on that movie? Movie. The AVGN movie. Oh, I have no idea. Again, the last time I saw anything from him was like months ago, and he was working on like miniature effects. I mean, I assume he's gonna like, he's gonna like double down and like try to get that out because now he has like, he has like one of the final performances of Juario in the movie. So, Does he? Yeah, he got like a couple months before he died. He had he had Juario stop by and they did a scene, and he's like, yeah, and it's a good scene too. And I'm like, oh, so you have incentive to finish it now because people will want to buy it to see this scene. <laughs> you know what? And, <laughs> You know what? I could easily see this becoming his uh, his The Day the Clown Cried. Where it's just like in limbo forever. Where it's just so bad that all, every anyone who can stop him will. Like, James, no, no, don't release this. <laughs> this is awful. No. It's sort of like sort of like how um, you know um, you know Ed Wood. Someone tried to stop Ed Wood from releasing Plan Nine. Because Ed Wood had the last live scene of Bella Lugosi. Yeah, but that was totally different. I mean, Bella is Lugosi Bella had a Lug career. No, what I'm saying is that <laughs> when when uh, Jew Wario filmed that scene, he knew what movie he was being filmed for. Uh, Bella Lugosi had n not even the slightest inkling what what uh, what Ed Wood was filming, and for that matter, neither did Ed Wood. <laughs> and that was basically just like, hey, Bella, let's let's go, let's go over to uh, Tor Johnson's house and film you going in and out of the house. 
okay, now let's go out to the woods and film you like film you in your Dracula costume going in and out of the woods. And that's all they did. And then later it was like, he was like, wait a minute, I could write a plot around this. And if you watch the movie, it's obvious that's what they did. Because <laughs> the stuff with Bella Lugosi is like so out of context. It's just like, it's just like. Or the chiropractor. Well, yeah, it's like Bella Lugosi just walks up to some random house and walks in the door. And then it, it jumps to a scene with the chiropractor with the cape over his face. I mean, that's, that's, that's the first clue right there is that, is that he was dressed as Dracula and the movie does not have any vampires in it anywhere. It's just that that's the costume that they had to use because that's what Bella Lugosi was wearing that day. <laughs> so it's, I think it's kind of the same thing though, because you know, it's like, do you, you think Justin really wants to be remembered by, you know, this, but he knew what he was filming. That's what I'm saying. He, he knew that he was making a scene for the AVGN movie. Whereas Bella Lugosi plan nine from outer space did not <laughs> exist in any form when that footage was shot. So that that whole thing about that being his last movie, that's a total line of bullshit because it's like <laughs> it's not his last movie because you know he didn't even realize they were not they were not in fact shooting a movie they were just shooting like home videos of Bela Lugosi in his Dracula costume <laughs> doing doing random what shit. If, what, if, what if this is the same thing where they were just shooting like home movies of, of Justin and his Jew Wario costume, him in, in, in James just having a conversation as just him and James. That would be funny, <laughs> but I don't think that's what they did. I, I, I tell you what, I if bet you $20. That's what it is. I don't think so. If it's in context with, this, with the movie, then it's not what they did. I bet you twenty bucks it it it'll come off as just a conversation between the two of them, Justin and James just talking to each other, and they're just having me in costume. That would be so hilarious, and <laughs> I don't think that's what they did. We, you know what? I bet you because you know what? I bet you, James James is a big Ed Wood fan, so I could totally see him using just like this off the cuff conversation he had with with Justin. As oh, I have Jew Wario in, in this movie, just like you know Bill Lugosi in this movie. <laughs> I, don't I bet you uh, twenty bucks. Okay, twenty bucks. Okay, but if the movie is ever released, we'll find out. If <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, it's like this, you know, you want to memorize Sean Connery, right? Yeah. Are you gonna show Zordoz? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're going to show Yes. <laughs> Is there a more apt comparison? That's pretty dead on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, now you got me thinking, like, when he finally God dies. God is good, the penis is evil. <laughs> no. When he finally dies and, like, and like the Oscar Awards does their, like, uh, People We Lost This Year video. You know, they're going to show, like, a clip from Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> You're the man now, dog, or that movie. Punch those keys. I am the last one. <laughs> All of his worst movies. So what's, a, what's another bad Connery movie? Entrapment? <laughs> Everyone watched it for Catherine Zane Jones' ass. Yeah. Highlander 2. Here we go. 
The Renegade Cut. Either cut, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I had heard about that movie, and then I watched it, and I'm like, what the fuck you is going Zardoz. on? You watched Zardoz. No, I'm talking about Highlander 2. Okay, I was like, you actually watched Zardoz? Like, no, I have not Whoa. watched Zardoz. I, I can't sit through that. <laughs> the gun is good. The penis is evil. Highlander 2 is just a mess. I cannot believe someone... And it's like, neither version is like is good. It's like, one version, they're from the past, and another version, they're from another planet. And both versions are stupid. Both versions have Michael Ironside as Katana. Yeah. In one of his stupidest roles ever. And he, he could do a good villain. Yeah, he was great in the, in the Total Recall. Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks. That was a great movie. Yes, it was. Get ready for a surprise! The effects in that movie were far great. You know, all those practical effects were great. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen or heard of Italian Spider-Man? Are, are you talking about not Turkish, but Italian? It's called, I think it's called Italian Spider-Man. Not Turkish Spider-Man? Let me, let me see. Because Turkish Spider-Man has Santo and Captain America in it. No, it's Italian Spider-Man. And it's, it's basically done as like, it's a parody of like a 70s movie that's that's done that's not anything even remotely close to what the actual concept is and it's even filmed on like really really cheesy film stock so it even looks like a bad 70s film and it's but it was hilarious yeah it was filmed like a couple years ago but it looks like it was, it's like some lost film from the 70s it is hilarious <laughs> And it's it's an exact parody of that sort of filmmaking where it's just like we're we're gonna do everything in one take and and not worry if if the card. Oh my god! <laughs> but you know, and you might even be convinced that it's like an old film, but like some of the jokes are so obvious. And I think it's only like forty minutes or something. Is, is that one guy wearing a Power Rangers mask? He might be. In fact, there's one scene in in this movie that you may have seen before. It's like the guy. There's like this 70s looking guy, he opens up a door and he does this kind of, it does this like really <laughs> weird close up on his face while he's making this like horrified face. It's it's like the 70s guy who like opens up the door. You, you've probably seen it before. Yeah. It's hard to explain, but it's funny. You're actually watching it. I'm watching the trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's how I found out about the film is that I kept seeing this animated gif of this guy who opens up a door. He makes this horrified face. I'm like, what the fuck is this from? And someone's <laughs> like, it's Italian Spider-Man, dude. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> this is worse than Turkish Spider-Man. <laughs> is that a hookah? Possibly. How did they get all these 70s clothing? I don't know. It's like they raided someone's uncle's closet. Oh my god, Marvel Comics is going to do a book. Okay. A book about what? Neil, what were we just talking about? The Italian Spider-Man? Yes. Okay. There's, they're going to do a book. They're going to... Marvel Comics is going to do a book about Italian Spider-Man? Yes. Wow. Well, it's better than sending a cease and desist. It's like, your parody of us is funny. Let's get together. Because that's Disney, so it's like... That's pretty cool. Disney actually lightening up on the... Yeah, it's like Disney having a sense of humor. Unlike Nintendo. Oh, well. That's fucking awesome. 
<laughs> but I talked to Pablo one time, uh, sometime about Italian, about Turkish Spider-Man. Okay. God damn it, call me Poe. What do you do now? He drew Wolverine. That's not a woman. <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to say that to him, but I'm not going to. Do it. Do it. I mean, there was that one time where I actually mentioned the, the frog noses to, to Adam Warren. And I, I thought know. that was pushing it. Remember, my parents are always like, well, when you get older, the, the kids are going to hate your music. And no, that's not really true. <laughs> it's like kids are still like into into 80s rock. And it, it's kind of an evergreen sort of thing. Well, the thing is, I hate I hate my generation of music like hell. I mean, I, I, I hate. I hate all the progressive rock shit. Well, it depends on what you mean by progressive rock, because that's kind of like that really is a loose. Uh, well, the stuff, the stuff that they, the stuff that they used to call alternative be back in the day before they decided to start call, calling it progressive. Oh. You know, yeah, all the call, Seattle shit. Just call it alternative, because that's not really progressive. When I think of progressive, I think of like Jethro Tull, Pink Floyd, Deep Purple, stuff like that. That's progressive. I mean. If anything, alternative music was regressive. It was just like, it was just whiny shit. It's like there's there's no melody in half the songs. Like, like I don't understand uh, what's what's that one band? Uh, Green Day. Oh god, I fucking hate Green Day. I mean, Green Day is like the band that only had one good song. They never had a good song. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they don't have any good song, but they had only one popular song. It's a song they play at every college graduation, even though it's about breaking up with an ex you hate. I mean, the song's name is actually "Good Riddance," but people think it's about it's a, it's a reminiscent sad song about leaving a sad time, you know, you know, you know, parting and stuff, and they they play in graduations. But the song's name is actually "Good Riddance," and then you know, at first Green Day was complaining like. Dude, this is a breakup song, and then all of a sudden, when all the you know they get all the money from all these high schools and colleges playing it, they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's now called Time of Your Life." By the way, and they put the good riddance in parentheses. <laughs> oh, like the Pina Colada song. That song sucks. I mean, it's almost as bad as fucking Sarah McLaughlin's "I Will Remember You." Oh God, that song. <laughs> Apparently, the female singer for this band it actually is pretty cute. For the band Two Mix, that's the, name, the actual name of the band. Two Mix. Yeah, that's the name of the Japanese band Two Mix. Uh, I think actually the girl is actually a voice actress as well. That's possible, because there certainly seems to be a, a lot more overlap and in, uh, in talent in uh, in Japanese voice acting. I mean, a lot of them are actually very good singers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she is a voice actress. Oh my god! What? She's a voice actress. She's not only a voice actress. She she actually does. She actually has done lots of voices that we know. She actually voiced Conan. Ah. Uh, she voiced Nabiki <laughs> from Ranma. She uh, ah. which kind of explains why the character model for her in the, the music video looks a little bit like Nabiki. Yes. Did you notice that? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, she actually has lots of voice credits. She was Kiki in Kiki's Delivery Service. Okay. She dubbed Elijah Wood in Back to the Future 2. 
Oh, wow. Actually, she seems to be the go-to person to dub Elijah Wood. Because <laughs> okay. I'm looking at her dubbing roles, and every time Elijah Wood has a role in Japan, it's her. Even uh, Lord of the Rings? I'm checking. <laughs> Doesn't tell me about Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. But you got to admit, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, they do that. They, uh, I think they do have, like, dedicated voice actors for specific American actors in, in Japan. That's kind of funny, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool at the same time, because you can always expect the same voice. Wow. You just don't really expect that level of detail. Mm-hmm. But you're right, there is a lot more uh, voice acting crossover with music in Japan. Not many voice actors have bands over here. No. Except for except for Wacko Warner. Well, actually, I think a lot of them do play in bands. It's just it's they're just not really known outside of California. Like Wacko Warner. Yeah. What kind of band is he in? Is, is isn't he like in a metal band or something? Yeah, he's in a parody metal band. It's Rock Sugar, but they play like mashups of like '80s metal and '80s pop. So they'll. They did. They did a mashup of uh, "Don't Stop Believing" with uh, "Enter Sandman." Don't stop the Sandman. Yeah, that's awesome. It is pretty awesome. But a lot of a lot of uh, not only the the actors but the animators. Uh, uh, a lot of them do seem to know how to how to play music. I mean, all the Spumco guys are musicians. I'm pretty sure. Mm. In fact, the the Ren and Stimpy theme song was played by the Spumco artists. Oh. Yeah. Actually, the one thing that really impressed me was, uh, have you ever seen the the God Knows video from Harrowy? No. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I have. And the the actual the actual movements of hitting the instruments are actually correct with the sounds that are coming out of the video. Yes, yes, it is. Even down to the bass playing, it's like mm. that, that because who who gives a fuck about bass? That is pretty awesome. I mean that that uh, animation is light years ahead of uh, the the opening of Josie and the Pussycats, and even that looked kind of awesome when it first came out. Yeah. So what do you think of the new episodes of Simon's Cat? I haven't been watching it. Oh. No. He does a good job of showing what the cats are like in you know in real life. Is of it? Cat wakes up and for no reason <laughs> just goes crazy. You've seen that happen before, haven't you? Yeah. The galloping through the house. They do that. Have that happened before? My cats aren't that destructive, but yeah, they do run through the house like crazy. And then just stop? Yeah, and then just stop. God, this is meticulously animated. You can tell it's done by someone who really watches his cat. Yeah. I mean, this. I think this is what Garfield should have been, you know? Yeah. So your cats aren't that destructive? Not really. But they do have those moments where they have to be in another room right now. <laughs> For no reason. For no reason. <laughs> they just want to check the room. Yeah. And they just take off. You hear them galloping through the house. I mean, I just, I just love this uh, Simon's Cat so much because it just, I mean, the animation style is very simplistic, but at the same time, it has so much expression to it. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's ever had a cat could be like, yeah, cats are like this. 
Yes, they are. Have you <laughs> shown Simon's cat to anybody else? Um, I think I've sent a couple to my sister. Uh, what did your sister think? I thought it was cute. Been catching up on episodes of Catch a Contractor. That show is my new crack. So I saw the I saw the episode with the uh, with the with the bearded shady guy. Oh yeah, that was the neighbor. Yeah, that guy was a fucking asshole. <laughs> what I loved was was when 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 he called him after the job was done. He says, "Oh yeah, I'm working on a new kitchen." And Dan says, "Yeah, we need a, we need that we need the, that guy's number for season two. <laughs> and they apparently told him to fuck off because you just hear this beep. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, but his friend Skip could not believe Adam just said that over the phone and, st- and just couldn't control himself and just started laughing. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, mean, I think Adam's starting to rub off on that guy because he he's starting to develop a sense of humor himself. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like Doctor Drew, like. When when Adam and Doctor Drew started doing shows together, Doctor Drew was pretty dry and not much not much in the way of comedy. And now Doctor Drew is really funny. I just mean that was hilarious. I mean, just yeah, we need this number for season two. Oh, but I heard one of the one of the houses that they did uh, apparently had a problem after they left. But I don't see how it could be their fault. So it's the house where uh, where it had like the the fecal contamination in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, apparently uh, the one of the sewer pipes broke in the basement. Oh, that's not their fault. Yeah, I'm like, but they they did the bathroom in the kitchen. I don't I don't see how that even. I mean that may that may just be the previous contractor, the guy that they dragged back to the house. But <laughs> well, I'm sure they're gonna fix it for free because this yeah. is what the production company can absorb it. Yeah, apparently there are extended episodes of uh, of Catch a Contractor coming. Like they recognize that the show is kind of a little short. I mean, excellent. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting a half hour show, and apparently they're gonna uh, fix that. Yeah, they're gonna bump the episode length up for existing episodes. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> because it really is. It really is rather short. It's like the first half of the show is like catch a predator and then like the rest of it's just a montage and occasional jokes by adam i'm like this could be so much better it could be yes i love adam is just like so savvy and knowledgeable that you know, he just bust people on their bullshit it's like the one the one guy from the first episode he's like he's like i'm gonna contact my my lawyer and he said something like uh like he said something like uh you know a uh a divorce lawyer is not the same as a as a as, as this a, kind of yeah, as as a, as a as a business lawyer or something like that. Yeah, and then he's like, "You don't have a lawyer." <laughs> the guy just kind of looks at the floor, <laughs> like, "Yeah, I don't have a lawyer." <laughs> but yeah, that that one, the guy that was their neighbor, that guy is a piece of crap. Oh yeah, I love how he said, "There's nothing wrong with those cabinets." Yeah, it's like, dude. Oh god, those look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the he had the ventilation hood like. Like three feet above the stuff. Yeah, I love like the the really bad hack job on the one cabinet where they had to cut into the wood to mount it. Put a hinge, yeah. Yeah, and they're like, "This is horrible." And he said something like, "How often are you gonna open that?" Really, and I was like, "That is not a good answer." <laughs> yes, it really. I was like, "That can't be your answer." I was like, "You piece of shit." <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
And the funny thing is, there's actually two guys on YouTube that do after shows for Catch a Contractor that are I actually contractors. That. Yeah, I saw that. Because I, I was looking for more, more material. <laughs> more material? Like, yeah, and I found that. I'm like, oh, this will work. <laughs> yeah, it's like called After Buzz or something like that. Yes. Yes. You found it too. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that's just like a YouTube channel for people talking. It's like an after show for like all sorts of uh, television content. And they're really good because they really get specialized when they cover specific shows like that. Like they have actually two contractors in the show and they... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they said they were really glad they did the one about the fraud the fraud family because yeah. cause they, they were like... Yeah, it's good that they did that early on because that showed that you know not not contractors aren't always bad. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a very deliberate choice to have that as episode two. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I know how how television executives and stuff like that uh, how they pace shows like this. And now that we've seen we've seen a fraud family and we've seen a guy who walked away from the house. What is the season finale gonna be? Because <laughs> I know they're building up the like, better episodes. Big. Yeah, yeah. These are these are the the lightweight episodes. Because because they showed every they showed every conceivable thing. They showed a guy. They showed several times where people come back to fix it. Mm-hmm. They show they show a guy that uh, walked away and didn't fix it and is getting sued. They showed a guy who was in the right and fixed it anyways. Yeah. I mean. The only thing they could have is actually a guy return the money. Yeah, well, that'd be so milk toast. You know, you, that'd be but, funny though. That would be funny. He's like, okay, I'll give you the money back, and then he leaves. And then they don't have a show. Because how are they gonna end that? It's gonna be like, okay, we we fixed the the kitchen or whatever. Now I guess we're done. No punchline. <laughs> no, they're, they're, it looks like you almost slipped it. Almost it semi slipped into Adam Carolla there. <laughs> yeah, but they got to be building up to something. The season finale is gonna be great. And I love how Aunt Corolla says, you know, the kitchen is the is the brain center of every house. Most of our takeout menus are there. I mean, that man's got a wit. Yes. He's got a wit. Where there's a wit, there's a way. <laughs> Don't know what else to think. But yeah, let's get let's get a full show ready next week, okay? Alright. Alright. Good night, Neil. Good night. <laughs>